In this month of July, South African consumers are facing a new round of price hikes, including food, electricity, water, property rates, taxi fares and fuel. An interest rate hike is also anticipated when the Reserve Bank's Monetary Policy Committee, the MPC, meets later in the month. With inflation currently at over 6%, we will explore this precarious situation and what it means for the man on the street. But first, the rapidly rising fuel price is now having an impact on the short-distance taxi industry. From this weekend, commuters who use minibus taxis are paying higher fares, with some trips now costing as much as five rands more. This is the biggest single hike in fares in this industry to date. Mkabisi Slengile explored the impact and reaction to the fare hikes. Statistics show that more than two-thirds of commuters travel by minibus taxis. But now the taxi owners are feeling the pinch of running their businesses. They say increase in fares was inevitable as they have input costs and monthly vehicle repayments to honor. I spoke to a taxi owner, Joseph Mende, and two drivers, Asanda Chauga and Sivuile Bali. Oh, we are losing almost uh, 30% from the money that we were doing before. Now we're losing a hell of a money. That you cannot even pay a driver. I, I drive myself now as an owner. I'm an old man, I'm over 60, but I'm driving myself because I cannot afford it. This has caused problems because more money goes to the petrol than what we deposit to them in the bank. 100 rand gets you 4 liters and 200 is 8 liters and that is not even a quarter tank. That forces us to increase prices for people who are already struggling. Commuters using taxes earn on average between 3,500 and 8,000 per month. Times are tough and now they have less disposable income due to rising transport costs. I used to pay 21 rand. Now I'm paying 24. Our salaries do not increase. Our employers do not understand. Half of my salary goes to transport. It is too much and we can't afford. Our wages and salaries are not increasing. We've got children, we've got food to buy electricity, water, everything is increasing. That was expected actually that the prices will go up for taxes as everything went up. I just wish our employers um, got the message and maybe do something to us as well. And if paying more to get to work was not enough, the talk in the taxi now, more often than not, revolves around the rising food prices and an economic outlook that does not look too rosy. SABC News, Kabir. To look further at the broader impact of the ever-increasing cost of living, we're now joined on the line by the SABC's economics editor, Tsepo Mungwai, as well as Professor of Economics and Director of the Development Policy Research Unit at the University of Cape Town, Haroon Borat. Now I'll start with you, Tsepo. Good morning and welcome to The Weekend View. One wonders where, where on earth people are going to try and, and find the, the extra income to, uh, to manage all the costs, whether it's travel to try and get to work, uh, for those who are unemployed to try and, and get the work it's, it itself and, and keep things going. It, it's a bleak picture. Um, uh, good morning, Selenzile, and uh, good morning to Professor Boris and to the listeners. I, I think what is important is that we need to highlight that um, prices generally in the economy, uh, they do increase all the time. 
Um, but what we are seeing at the moment is the rapid rise uh, in the price, in the cost of living, where inflation is now increasing at around 8%. Uh, and we are from where the economy had, I mean, the inflation has been rising on average at around 5 4% uh, monthly. So once you have a, a rapid rise in the cost of living or inflation, um, you start to see many poor people battling to afford basic necessities. Mm. And that creates a risk. It creates a problem in the economy. And uh, the concern mainly is that it could also result in a social instability in a country where we have huge inequality. We also have high poverty levels and unemployment. Um, even government interventions are lacking in terms of addressing uh, the problems in the short term. And we have been on path to uh, coming up with a permanent solutions in mm. terms of uh, addressing some of our structural issues in our economy. It has been difficult to get there. Now it's going to get even more difficult um, with the current um uh, uh, inflation rate that we are seeing, and obviously, um, growth also is going to lag. We have problems with ESCOM at the moment. Uh, the projections that we've we've had that were around two percent earlier. Many have revised those uh, economic projections downward, one point seven uh, percent this year. It could even get worse, where we are at around one percent if the current, for example, current issues of electricity are not addressed. Mm. And that, it actually puts many poor households in the corner, and they'll probably find it even more difficult mm. uh, to afford some of the basic necessities because they are increasing at a very fast pace. Mm-hmm. So are you saying that uh, that this was the, 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 the you know, South Africa's economy's trajectory pre the pandemic because it's very hard to even try and remember life pre pre the pandemic right and and of course it's been a massive shock to the system it's exacerbated um the the issues and the challenges that were already there so i in 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 some ways are you essentially saying that we were already on on this course the pandemic essentially just made made it a lot of it happen a lot faster no, absolutely. Um, the pandemic just made the situation worse. We we had our issues. We had many many problems in our economy, uh, and many of them um, we've been battling to address for the longest time. Uh, and 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 you know uh, you've just reminded me because um, we've had the release in 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 last month of the first quarter GDP numbers, and um, for the first time we were able to claw back some of the losses that we have seen uh, during the pandemic. Uh, the, the number was around 1.9%, uh, with many sectors actually um, performing pre-COVID-19. Uh, uh, but um, it, it's a concern that indeed we will be able to maintain those levels of growth uh, going into the second quarter and the third quarter. Mm. I, I personally don't don't see that. Uh, we've seen the uh, employment numbers that have been released, and uh, the picture is that it's government that somehow helped to keep, you know, uh, things above water. 
private sector, they've been creating temporary jobs because they lack confidence in the economy to create permanent jobs. Uh, now, it just um, makes the situation even worse for many of the poor people if they're not getting decent jobs uh, that can make them to participate in the economy, be able to acquire assets and so forth. So they have actually left behind even more in this economy. Let me now bring in Professor of Economics and Director of the Development Policy Research Unit at the University of Cape Town, Professor Harun Borat. Prof, thank you for your time this uh, morning on the Weekend View. And let's pick up on uh, that point about the impact of the pandemic. And of course, uh, the the pushback you also hear from some quarters to say, um, yes, it it was a massive shock to the system. However, it's not as though South Africa's economy was what was doing glowingly well or amazingly well just two years ago, we were already struggling. Yeah, I mean, thanks very much, Serenzila. I mean, I think um, you allude to it. that they, they, I mean, one way to think about our growth uh, and employment uh, trajectory and therefore the pathway toward reduced poverty and inequality is sort of as two tracks. One is the long run and the other one is the short run. Now, in the long run, that's what you mean, right? That, mm. you know, it's not as if we're doing sterlingly well before the pandemic. So so there are a whole host of structural features that have existed um, uh, since sort of pre-apartheid, um, pre the fall of apartheid for South Africa, and we can talk about that. But just immediately and feeding off what Sepo said is that, you know, the current cycle we're seeing is really uh, driven by two key factors. One is the pandemic, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but the second is, of course, the war in Ukraine. So what that has done is almost a, a double blow to the domestic economy and many others around the world driven um, by supply chain constraints. So that's what in this instance has occurred with respect to uh, the impact of the pandemic as we move out of, if you like, um, the, the pure health crisis where people have to be in lockdown and so on. So, so that's the, the supply chain constraints you're seeing is exactly one of the key reasons that uh, prices are beginning to uh, track upwards. The second, because of the Ukraine war, is not only a constricted supply, which is slightly different from the supply chain constraints you're seeing mainly out of China, but also, of course, oil shortages. So then the oil price has gone up. And so so the one important thing to keep in mind is a, a really useful measure for how bad this is in the short run is that we've now breached our inflation targeting range. So the latest average inflation, remember it's the average, comes out from stats SA at 6.5%. Mm-hmm. And our, um, for the Reserve Bank, the range is 2 to 6%, right? So anything that even gets towards 6%, the Reserve Bank starts getting a little bit uneasy and they look to rates increases. And so we're faced with the cycle of rising prices you then you will almost definitely see an increase in interest rates uh, um, uh, in the next few cycles. That then may start lowering growth rates. And that's the era of what we called in the 1970s stagflation. And so you may have seen, you know, this has been a discussion in global economies that you now have this combined effect of low growth rates and rising prices, which is not a place you want to be in. Um, because effectively what it means is you've got to fight rising prices 
with higher interest rates. Mm -hmm. And so you end up reducing growth almost with your eyes open so that you can bring inflation under control, which is effectively what happened in the 70s. So I think that's the global, uh, I mean, that's the short run uh, constraint we face. I just want to add one quick thing about um, in, uh, inflation and how to think about it in South Africa is that it has many different components that go into an average basket, right? So uh, whether it's transport, whether it's food and the products you eat, what SA has to do by construction and every single statistical agency does is to combine all these products um, into an average. Mm -hmm. But you can imagine, and this is particularly true for the poor in South Africa, if you are consuming particular goods more than those that are middle class or rich and transport is one of them, but their prices are going up much more, mm -hmm. right? That means that your inflation rate as a poor person may actually be higher than the 6.5%, if that makes sense, right? Mm -hmm. So, And this is what you're beginning to see uh, played out, um, I think, um, currently in the South African context. As food and fuel prices increase inordinately high, not only do the poor have fewer buffers, but they're also spending far more of their income on goods that are that are going up in price more than the six and a half percent you've got a, a serious concern to worry about i have some ideas about how to fix that but, uh, but let me stop there mm -hmm. uh, tepo uh, i imagine you, you have some thoughts bubbling under let me give you an opportunity opportunity to jump in before i shift it uh, yeah no, absolutely um i think the professor is correctly is correct um uh, obviously, there are those who've always argued that um, inflation targeting, which is aimed at taming uh, inflation, and I think the Reserve Bank has uh, repeatedly argued that it actually protects uh, the value of money in the pockets, particularly uh, for the poor. Uh, but it, it's it's not a panacea. It's it, it, it's not all uh, in terms of uh, addressing uh, some of our challenges. It has its own shortcomings, mm -hmm. uh, but it's what we have at the moment. Um, it's what has been tried and and tested for now. Uh, but we know that um, many people obviously get affected, especially our middle income. In fact, uh, what you had seen is that. Uh, the banks have largely depended on the middle-income earners uh, for the longest time uh, in terms of driving the the, the the credit extension numbers in in the economy. Now you do now starting to see the signs that these middle-income are really really starting to struggle, mm. uh, and we know that in South Africa the banking system is actually depending on very few people who are in the labour market, and that pool of number of, of people who are working is not really increasing uh, that much. Uh, in fact, you do have instances where it's shrinking. Now, um, once you have those middle-income earners battling and uh, not able to to pay their, 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 their installments, it, that creates a risk in the system yeah. uh, uh, that the Reserve Bank has to manage it very, very carefully uh, so that uh, the banks uh, don't end up in a situation where they're not able to get some of the money that they've loaned to, to these people. Mm. Uh, so it's, it's, it's not an easy one. It's a, it's a fine balancing act. Uh, it's, it's almost trying 
to bring everyone on board at the same time, and giving them a bit of a, a sour medicine, but at the same time making sure that you know they survive. Uh, and and, and so for, on, just on bring the idea of bringing everybody on board is everyone coming on board? I mean, earlier you kind of you, you know you spoke about um, or alluded to the issue around uh, you know not having um, sufficient secure um, jobs. Um, we often bandy about the idea of, of jobless growth as well. Um, and and you have those, of course, who say it's not government's job to create the jobs. They must in, uh, create the enabling environment uh, for the private sector to to create the jobs. But are these parties coming to the party? Is the private sector coming to the party um, and, and playing their part as well? If, if I can come in, um, th there is evidence that um, uh, jobs uh, do get created when when there is um, economic growth. Uh, so there's no question about that. Um, but I think what is important it is um, to change the mindset of the private sector so that uh, for them it's not just about creating value for their shareholders because primarily um, any uh, a private sector would actually prefer to, if they can cut costs anywhere else, including in labor, they would do that, uh, apply machinery, use machineries or anything else that can actually help them save costs and create more value for shareholders. Uh, but what we have seen that um, in some instances does work is when the private sector is incentivized to create jobs. Mm. Uh, it actually does make a huge difference uh, where a little bit more jobs are, are created. But the primary uh, focus of the private sector is not to create jobs. It's to create value for investors. Jobs get created in that process, mm -hmm. um, which is good, but I think more can be done. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Let's uh, take a listen on a, a voice note before I go back uh, to Prof. Uh, those voice notes sent on 0826923909. Well, I've tightened my belt so much. Um, that I don't even have a belt anymore. I've eaten it. The only way we're going to now try and solve some of the problems we have with the high cost of food and fuel is to get an honest government in place. We cannot continue to run all these SOEs, which are all corrupt and all incompetent and costing the taxpayer a fortune. We need to release the billions that is lost in the SOEs back into the economy, and that would help the free flow of uh, money, and then money would, in fact, bring down the cost of living. SAFM values your views. Be an active citizen. We are talking about the impact of uh, the ever-high cost of living and we're asking how you are managing i am uh, in in conversation uh, this morning with my guest the sabc's economics editor tepo mwai and i'm also speaking to a professor of economics and director of the development policy research unit at the university of cape town professor harun borat and probably let me come back uh, uh, to you as well and on the same point about everyone playing their part and if perhaps you could also reflect on on the voice not the comment we just played now from from our listener right the impact Impact also of where um, of our, where our SOEs are, the impact of, of an ESCOM, for example, and the and how much it's costing us um, on a on a daily basis with all of the load shedding, and of course the complexity as well um, of of workers there who are saying. It, it, it's it, we are well within our rights to demand better wages, to demand better better conditions, and to and to negotiate in whatever form with the employer. 
Yeah, I mean, I think, look, you know, the, 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 the input uh, reflects a sort of uh, the, the notion of a domestically driven crisis, right? So the domestic factors. And of course, what's happened to the SOEs is purely a function of the years of state capture, right? So what you've seen is, uh, I think ESCOM may have longer run uh, routes, if you like, failure to sort of see our long run energy needs. But in essence, it's state capture that's seen a complete destruction of our previously well-run uh, state-owned enterprises. It then points to the importance, I think, given the, 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 given the nature of the crisis, given how chronic it is, how scarce uh, resources exist in the state. The state uh, is facing um, sort of massive budgetary constraints that you do need to pull in what I think is an incredibly, uh, let's say, well-skilled uh, private sector, right? People know how to run airlines. They, they, um, they know how to uh, um, um, sort of undertake uh, complex engineering solutions to our energy problems in the private sector, and they're there. So the idea, so I think there is a quantum leap, um, Seven Zile, that is required. I know it's difficult, but to almost see the private sector as the partner in this resurrection of uh, of uh, state-owned enterprises, and also in terms of the pursuit of growth and development. I mean, um, to be honest, Tepo's earlier point is is not quite correct, right? The private sector globally produces eight out of ten jobs in this in in economies, right, in the world economy. Some of it's in the informal sector, and I think that's also an important part of how we think about job creation. But I think it's critical that you see the private sector not as the other. I mean, government's job is not to create jobs. You know, it's to mop up, you know, here and there through public works programs. But it is to create, as you've said, the enabling environment, right? The only way you're going to create sustainable growth, long-run employment, is through an involvement with the private sector. Yes, there may be tensions around... Um, investment of capital rather than labor. But even then, evidence shows that greater capital intensity and productivity, right, in an enterprise in the long run leads to greater growth and therefore employment all around. So the evidence is very, very clear in terms of the role of what we would call the private sector or what I would say firms, right? Firms mm. create jobs. Government doesn't create jobs. And I think and then if you go one tier down, just so that people switch their understanding is, yes, we are talking about large firms that are listed on the JSC, but we're also talking of the myriad of small and medium enterprises, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Right from the registered ones through to the informal sector. That's the lifeblood of most developing countries. And my view is as a state, as a society, as policymakers, we've under underappreciated the role of that sector in creating jobs um, in cre and, and, and therefore we have an environment that's almost uh, antithetical to the growth of that sector. So for me that's you know we do need to shift that debate so stop sort of thinking about this as a big bad private sector and government's there to save us. I think that's old style thinking we have to involve in a creative way the private sector. It's not an easy journey mm -hmm. but it's a necessary one. Mm -hmm. In 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 a minute, Prof, if if you can, right? Because mm. you know, as as, as uh, consumers, South Africans are saying, um, look, I I hear all of this very high level policy level discussions and so on, but I'm I'm just struggling to just get bread on the table. Where where's the answer going to come from? So what are the sort of things that we should be doing, or should be done at whatever level of of the state, or even within within the, the community level, the local level, that, that that can begin just to support people as we figure out what the what the long term big solutions are. 
Well, so I think the one thing, right, is if we know the driver, say, around uh, inflation comes from uh, oil prices, well, let's look at ways in which poor consumers, not rich consumers, poor consumers can be subsidized in terms of transport costs. And I wouldn't give it to the owners, right, of uh, transport. I would give it to consumers. Mm -hmm. We need to think of a design strategy that, for example, says, okay, uh, you know, we're going to subsidize maybe 50% uh, of the increase. So the 14% increase will subsidize 7% of that. Mm -hmm. But they, And they, maybe there's a voucher system, but there's something that the state can do that just provides short-term relief. What South Africans have to understand is when the government does offer something, it can remove it, right? Because sometimes the budget doesn't allow for it. But I think it's those kinds of creative niche policy solutions targeted at very specific consumers um, doesn't always have to be through the grant system, for example, mm. uh, that can target, say, whether it's food, whether it's uh, specific products uh, where you can seek either greater tax relief or greater subsidies. I think we have to start thinking in that, um, in that manner. Mm -hmm. Tabo, let's uh, give you an opportunity to give your parting shot as well. Um, just to um, raise my point uh, in regard to what the, pro the professor said, um, I actually agree with, with him that uh, with regard to the role of the private sector, they have a huge role to play. Uh, and um, there is no question that, uh, no, no doubt that they actually do create create jobs. But I, I think my, the point I was making is that uh, they could actually do more if um, they also um, become part of the whole drive to deal with some of the challenges that the local economy is facing, the social issues uh, that the uh, that we are facing in in the economy. Um, the issue of involving the private sector it, it's a noble one, but I do think that government cannot just go and get private sector participation with their eyes closed uh, because we know that. In those uh, private sector participation uh, agreements with the state, the state has to take more risk in order to attract uh, the private sector in order to take part and, and carry out some of the functions that the, 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 the government is battling to, 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 to carry out. Mm -hmm. And sometimes government is left in a far worse position than it was before. Uh, by going into those kind of arrangements, so it's very important that are well thought of, uh, are thought out in uh, when they do those uh, mm -hmm. those deals. Mm -hmm. um, there has been some instances where government have had a finger bang, but going into uh, the uh, public-private partnership sure. um, because now the debt that they have to accumulate out of those projects, uh, particularly if those projects don't succeed, and the government end up paying up a lot. Yeah. Uh, in those projects. Yeah, we'll have to leave it uh, there. Thank you both. Uh, that uh, was the SABC's economics editor, Tepo Mungwai, and uh, professor of economics and, and director of the Development Policy Research Unit at the University of Cape Town, Professor Harun Borat. Thank you both for your time. And